0: several dads who have said, oh, oh, April 1st, family Easter celebration. My wife's going on the women's retreat. You mean you're going to feed me and my kids and give us stuff to do? Absolutely. If you're a dad and your wife is going on the women's retreat and you want to come and bring your kids, feed them dinner, have stuff to do all evening, by all means come and take advantage of that. Uh, but all families are welcome, whether there is someone going on the women's retreat or not. Absolutely, we'd love to have you there. I think my favorite part of that video is at the end when Karina is talking and Noah is wearing that Easter bonnet. He looks adorable in the bonnet. I hope he has it on today. Also, there was a mention of the Easter bags. Just If families want to call your attention to this, I've had two or three families talk to me this week about how helpful this has been to them as they've spent time with the Lord approaching Easter. There are different activities for every day as we approach Easter. Some of them are uh, crafts. Some of them are recipes that you can make. There are different lessons. You don't have to do all of them. You can pick and choose, Uh, but these bags are out at the kids' check-in area. And if the kids' check-in area over there is too far for you, I'm going to leave this one right here, all right? And if it disappears at the end of the service, that's great. Just come and, and take that, and it's all yours. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series. And the sermon series is called Rest for Your Soul. Right? Rest for Your Soul. Okay, the cute little lamb up there. Uh, Kenny and I went out and shot a little promo video at the Bratz Farm, And they're like, do you want to hold a lamb? And I said, absolutely. And they're like, well, hold this one. Its name is Snuggles. And apparently Snuggles was born out in the cold, and they didn't find it quite quick enough. And so it had to go through a series of warm baths and being held. So it really likes people, and it really likes to be held at this point. And I held Snuggles, and Snuggles gave me little lamb kisses. Oh, so adorable. And then I got home, and my puppy was like, what's that smell? Who have you been with? Oh, man, that was a new one for the puppy. Don't recognize that. So rest for your soul. Anyone need rest for their soul? Uh, The American Psychological Association between 2008 and 2018 did a 10-year study in worry and anxiety in American adults. What they found over the course of that 10 years between 2008 and 2018 is that the number of people who are reporting that worry and anxiety was a significant problem in their daily life increased by 23% over that 10-year period. The average adult reported that they were experiencing 30% more times of anxiety and worry in 2018 than in 2008. In that 10 year period of time, and the numbers were already high in 2008, in that 10 year period of time, the amount of people who were registering significant challenges with worry and anxiety grew by 23 or 30 percent, depending on which statistic you like there. And the numbers among those who were young adults grew even faster than that over that time period. We live in a world that is filled with worry and anxiety and frustration between people's expectations of us, the hecticness of our daily life, our inability to control all the events around us, our inability to see the future and know how things are going to work out for us and the people we love. When you add all of those things together, it brings worry and anxiety into all of our lives in different different ways and in different amounts. And in the middle of a world that is filled with worry and anxiety, Jesus says, Hey, you guys, I bring peace. I've come so that anyone who comes to me will have rest or peace. And in this sermon series entitled Rest for Your Soul, we are looking at the specific rest and peace that Jesus and his salvation bring to our lives. This isn't a sermon series where we're going to be talking about uh, tips and tricks to calm down. There are some good tips out there, Uh, tips about how you control your breathing or drinking enough water or getting enough sleep at night or turning off your phone, getting off social media. There are some good tips and tricks about how to be more calm in your life. That is not what this sermon series is going to be about. We are going to be looking at things that are deeper than that, that go to the core of who we are as people and the kind of rest and peace that we need in our innermost places as human beings. Over the course of the five weeks of the series, we're looking at five different ways. Maybe we are. We're looking at five different ways in which Jesus and his salvation bring peace and rest to the innermost parts of who we are. Now, last week, Pastor Kenny took you through the second one up there. You can rest because you're growing. Do you remember him using the word sanctification? And we can have rest or peace because of the growth that God is bringing to our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at the top one of those. You can have rest and peace because you have been declared innocent in the throne room of God. And we, are, we have a foundational passage that we are looking at every week in this series. What is that foundational passage? It is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. What does it say? Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every week, we're going to look at a little different chunk of this passage and the truth that God gives us in this passage. And this week, as we look at Matthew chapter 11, I want us to look at four primary questions as we walk through this passage. The first one is, what is Jesus offering here? The second question is, who qualifies for the offer? The third question is, is, how does Jesus bring rest to our souls? And the fourth question is, why would Jesus even make this offer to someone like me? Why why would Jesus even make this offer to someone who is rebellious and selfish and sinful? why, Why would he even do that? So let's start with the first question. What is Jesus offering in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30? You don't have to read very far to see. He's offering rest. Right? He's offering rest. But it isn't just any kind of rest that he's offering here. He is not, for example, offering physical rest in this life. Come to Jesus and you never have to go to work again. Come to Jesus and you never have to shovel snow, mow your lawn again. Come to Jesus and your nap times will be extended. That isn't the kind of rest that he's offering here. We only have to read a little bit about the lives of Jesus and his apostles to realize these people did a lot of work. He doesn't offer to us a physical rest in this life when we come to him. He also doesn't offer to us a circumstantial rest in this life. Come to me and everything will be smooth sailing from this point out in your life. Your kids will never act up again. Every work project will go swimmingly. Your car will never break down again. Jesus doesn't offer us a circumstantial rest when we come to him in this life. And as hard as this is for us to hear, Jesus doesn't even offer us relational peace and rest with other people when we come to him. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, there are going to be people with whom you don't have relational peace and rest. As a matter of fact, when God says, as far as it is possible by you, be at peace with all people, there's an implication in there. You, you can and should do all of your part to be at peace with people. But it's a two-way street, and they may not be at peace with you. And So Jesus didn't come to bring relational peace to us either. What kind of peace did he come to bring? Right? Rest and peace for our soul. That's right. Rest and peace for our soul. Our souls are filled with so much turmoil as we process the big questions in this life. Do I belong anywhere? Do I belong with anyone? Will I make it through everything that lays ahead of me? Am I on the path I'm supposed to be on? What is going to happen to me when I die? Our souls can be so disturbed by the big questions of life that there are times that we simply try and distract ourselves so that we don't hear those voices and don't have to deal with those questions. So we throw ourselves deep into work. So that work distracts us from having to deal with the big questions of our soul. Or we throw ourselves deep into entertainment, living in some sort of other world and living somebody else's life. So that we don't have to deal with these big questions of the soul. Jesus' plan isn't for us to avoid the biggest questions that are brought to our mind and our soul. Jesus' plan is for us to face those questions with him. And as we do, he says, you can have rest and peace as we face these things together. What is it that Jesus is offering? He's offering rest. And not just any rest. Rest for the deepest part of who we are. Rest for our souls. So who is it that qualifies for this rest? Who is it that qualifies to come to Jesus and receive rest for the soul? I think that he answers this question in this passage as well. Because I want to know, do I qualify? Do I qualify to come to Jesus and receive that kind of rest? What if you have to be an introvert who's really good at being by yourself in order to experience this kind of rest, and I'm not? What if you have to be an extrovert and really love being around all kinds of people, and I'm not? What if in order to qualify to come to Jesus and experience rest, you really have to come out of a healthy family background, and I don't. Or you really have to come out of a highly dysfunctional family background so you know how good you've got it, and I don't. Well, what if you have to be wealthy? What if you have to be a Jew? What if you have to live in the country? What if you have to be a Packers fan? Right? No, 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 right? What is necessary in order to qualify to come to Jesus and experience this rest for your soul? Jesus says the people who qualify are those who labor and are heavy laden. Who is it that Jesus says qualifies to come to him and receive this rest? Anyone who labors or is weary, some of your translations say, and is heavy laden. Is that anyone? Anyone in this room experience the weariness of life? He's offering rest for our souls, and so the burden and the heaviness is particularly about our soul that he can alleviate. Anyone in here experience the burden and the heaviness of trying to be good enough and every day failing to live up to even your own standards? Anyone in here experience the burden of your own sin and your own selfishness and you just get tired of it? Jesus says, anyone who experiences that burden, anyone who experiences that heaviness of soul, you're the person who's qualified to come to me and experience genuine rest in the innermost part of who you are. That's all it takes. Do you feel the weariness and the heaviness? As a matter of fact, as we read through the Gospels, Jesus says there's only one set of people who can't come to him, who won't come to him and experience this rest for your soul. Do you know who it is? It's those who think they have it all together. It's those who think they know enough to be good. It's those who think they're good enough to save themselves. Jesus says those people who won't recognize that they're sick won't come to the great physician for healing. It's those people, Jesus says, who can't experience my rest because they don't recognize the heaviness and the burden of soul and seek my salvation in this. Who, who is it that qualifies for this offer of Jesus for rest for our souls? It's anyone who experiences the heaviness and the burden of life and of their soul. Now, How does Jesus bring rest to our souls? How does that happen? I mentioned that over the course of the five weeks of these series, we'd be looking at five different ways that Jesus and his salvation bring peace and rest to the innermost part of who we are. This week, we are looking at how Jesus brings rest by securing our innocence at the judgment. Kenny used the word sanctification last week to talk about his topic. This would be the Bible word justification that you have been declared righteous or innocent at the judgment, and that brings peace and rest for our soul like nothing else. There may be no greater fear, worry, or anxiety in life than what will happen to me when I die. I know people who won't even talk about their death, they'll say, no, 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 that's morbid, let's not talk about that, because they don't want to consider the end of their life. I know people who won't go to funerals or memorials because they know, if I go there, that is going to confront me with my own mortality, and I don't want to think about that. And yet, in a recent Barna survey, 80% of Americans believe that there is some sort of forever life that people enter into after they die. 60% of Americans believe that there is some sort of hell or punishment that people may go to after they die. That's a large percentage of people who believe that there is something that's going to happen after they die and experience a worry or an anxiety about what's going to happen when they stand before their maker and their judge. I would contend that even those who say they don't believe that there's anything that happens after we die still experience worry or anxiety about whether or not they're right. Right? This is why 12% of avowed atheists say they pray to God every day. Why? Right? Because they're hedging their bets here a little bit. There's a, a worry because when we lay in our beds at night all by ourselves, there is something within us that knows that we were made for more than this. Something within us that knows our lives were intended to be about more than what we're experiencing in this life. Something that calls to us and says, there's more. And if we know there's more and that we might stand before our maker and our judge, there's a worry and an anxiety and a fear that come in that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the end of that worry and that anxiety and that fear. Because through the work of Jesus Christ, when he takes our guilt and the punishment for our guilt on himself, we get declared innocent in the courtroom of God so we know when we stand before him, what awaits us is eternal life with him. It's the end of fear. It's the end of worry. It's the end of anxiety about death and what will happen to us at the judgment. Now, before Jesus, we were right to be worried and anxious. Listen to how Ephesians 2 describes our life before Jesus. And you were We were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. We were under his wrath, according to this passage. Our worry and anxiety should have been off the charts. As a matter of fact, I would contend that the very best thing that we can experience before we come to Jesus is worry and anxiety and fear. Because in our standing, that worry, anxiety, and fear is the reality of the judgment that is coming. And drives us to salvation in Jesus Christ. But once we become his children, once we repent of our sins and enter into his kingdom, all of that worry, all of that anxiety about what is going to happen to us when we die, it goes away in the work of Jesus Christ. The very next verses say, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Because what? By grace, you have been saved. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, there is no longer a guilty verdict over your life. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Him. No longer a guilty verdict. Innocence, righteousness, that is the verdict that hangs over you now because of what Jesus did on your behalf. And it eliminates fear, worry, and anxiety in our lives about death and what is to come. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus make this offer to a sinful, broken people who have rebelled against him? Why would Jesus make this offer knowing that he was going to take the guilt for our sin and the punishment that it deserved? It cost in order to make this happen, why would Jesus do this? The answer is right here in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It it was a preacher from decades ago named Spurgeon who said this is the only place in the four Gospels where Jesus tells us what is on his heart. Now, I am not suggesting to you this is the only place we see Jesus' heart in the Gospels. Every time Jesus speaks, every time he acts, we see Jesus' heart in the Gospels. But this is the only time in the four Gospels where Jesus directly tells us what is on his heart. What his heart consists of, and what does he say? My heart is gentle, and it is lowly. The word for gentleness here is often translated meekness in the New Testament. It means to have tremendous strength, but to never do harm with it. Jesus has amazing strength, but if you're his child, he will never do harm to you, only good. He is unbelievably patient, the most patient person ever in the universe. He does not have a quick trigger. He is gentle. But he's not just gentle. We're told that he's lowly. The Greek word translated lowly here is most often translated humble in the New Testament. Like in James chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's right. That's this word lowly or humble. Because Jesus is humble, he's approachable. He's a servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and he is lowly. Jesus says, this is my heart. My heart is a heart of gentleness. It's a heart of humility. When we see that gentleness and that lowliness in the yoke that he offers to us, he says, come under my yoke, because my yoke is, what is the word he says? Easy. Easy. The Greek word translated easy here is often translated kind in the New Testament like in Ephesians 4:32 where it says be kind one to another same word The yoke that Jesus calls us to is a yoke that is kind it's good it's easy it's pleasant That's the yoke that he calls us to a yoke that is kind a yoke that is good why? Because Jesus doesn't just have mercy. Jesus is what? Rich in mercy. Mercy abounds with Jesus. There are times where we use a metaphor that talks about what is at a person's core, that what is in a person's heart. And that metaphor goes like this. If you cut them, they bleed blank. Right, you familiar with this? If if we're talking about Joe from Green Bay, who wears a triangular piece of cheese on his head, not just on game days, every day of his life. We might say about Joe, if you cut Joe, he bleeds Packers Green. Or if Joe's an IT developer, and, and that his whole life is about that, we might say, well, if you cut Joe, he bleeds user interfaces. Or if Joe's a football coach, we might say, if you cut Joe, he bleeds X's and O's. It's about what's at the very core of who we are that almost kind of involuntarily spills out of us because it's what is most valuable to us, what is at the very core of who we are. And it is very possible, based on what we are talking about today and the verses that we've looked at, that we could say, if you cut Jesus, he bleeds gentleness, humility, abounding mercy that's who he is i think there are times where we think about approaching jesus and because we recognize that he is holy and he is awesome and he is overwhelming and he is pure we think you know i i know because of what jesus did i get to approach him but he probably holds his nose as i approach like oh matt your life it stinks but that is never the picture that we get of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus loves to be around and do good to those who are hurting. To those who are seeking. I think of Matthew chapter 8. An unclean leper comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus say in response? I am willing be clean. That Greek word for willing is the word thalima, and it means to have a desire or a want. And he says to Jesus, if you really want to, if you really desire, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I want to, because his heart is one of gentleness and mercy and goodness. In the very next chapter, a group of guys cut a hole in a roof in order to drop their friend down through. Matthew chapter 9. And before Jesus even finds out what they want, he pronounces over this man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Now is that why they dropped him down through the, through the roof? So his sins, no, that wasn't what, they wanted healing here, didn't they? But even before Jesus Talks to them before he finds out what they want. Words of mercy and gentleness come tumbling out of his mouth because his heart is one that is gentle and humble and filled with mercy. And he says, Your sins are forgiven. Revelation chapter 1 the apostle John is called up into the heavens, and there he comes face to face with the risen, glorified, majestic Jesus. Now, John has spent three years with Jesus. He refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. He was close with Jesus, and yet when he sees Jesus in that risen, majestic, glorified form, what does John do? He falls down on his face, and he can't get up. Right? He falls down on his face, and he cannot get up to his feet. And when we read that, you go, well, Matt, that, that doesn't sound like gentleness and lowliness. Humility? That sounds like majesty, right? That that sounds like glory. That sounds like Jesus is overwhelming. But what does Jesus do next in that passage? We're told that Jesus goes over to John, and it specifies he reaches down with his right hand, and he touches John, and he raises John up to his feet, and he speaks words of encouragement to John. Why? Why? Because Jesus is overwhelming, and he is majestic, and he is glorious, and he is also gentle, and he is also humble, and he is also rich in mercy. Do you know that, Jesus? Have you come to him? At this point, I want to remind you that Jesus says, Anyone who has known me has known the Father. And so if Jesus is gentle and humble and rich in mercy, what is the Father? I also want to remind you of Hebrews chapter 13, where, Jesus, where we're told Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was gentle and humble and filled with mercy 2,000 years ago, what is he today? What is he today? He doesn't hold his nose as you approach. But he loves that you, his child, approach and he wants to be with you. Are you weary and heavy laden? Do you have that heaviness of sin and selfishness in your soul? Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. and You will experience genuine rest for the innermost part of who you are. In just a minute, we are going to celebrate what Jesus has done in order to bring that rest into our lives by taking the Lord's Supper and singing his praises. But before we do that, I just want to give us a minute of silence so that we can thank Jesus for what he's done in order to provide that rest for our souls. Would you guys just bow your heads with me and in this quiet time, give God praise and thanks for what has taken place so that you can have genuine rest and peace in the inner core of who you are. Maybe this is a time where you need to do some business with God, where you need to come to Jesus so that he can provide that rest and peace in your life. Every time we sing God's praises, every time we participate in communion or the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating what Jesus did so that we can have rest for our souls. And I want to invite you to continue to think about the rest for your soul that Jesus provides through his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as we participate in communion together. Uh, We're going to sing his praises, and as we do, I'd invite you to get up and go to the tables and take the bread and the cup and bring it back to your seats. And in just a minute, I'll come back out and lead us together in the taking of the elements as we celebrate Jesus and what he's done to bring our salvation and the peace that we experience. Let's take these elements, fully recognizing his gentleness humility, His approachableness, His service, His abounding mercy. Amen.